Delvin. It's Cinema Bums. I'm Wade. And I'm Emmett. Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today we are continuing our miniseries, The House Bummy, covering every film written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. We will fully spoil today's film, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Emmett, how are you doing? I'm doing it well today. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm fully recovered from my sleepless haze on our last episode. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Which listeners will have already heard. I have not attempted to edit yet, but I'm concerned about. <laughs> uh, did you end up getting a couch ever? Yes. Listeners will, will be now. dying to know. <laughs> we have a couch now, and I... You know, this is nothing but my own. Well, actually, okay. I'm going to lay out the order of events here. Here's the order of the events. I order a desk on which I will record future podcasts. The desk arrives in the mail. So I'm like, I'm going, cool. I'm going to like watch the movie, prepare for this week's podcast, and then build the desk. And then record this episode on it. Then our internet broke. And then instead of using that time to build the desk, I <laughs> left the house and because I didn't want to be here without internet. And then they fixed it just in time for me to watch the movie. So I'm still sitting on the floor as I record this, unfortunately. <laughs> but after this episode, tonight I'm going to build the desk and then I will be sitting in an actual chair next week. So exciting. <laughs> That's my moving update. <laughs> But listen, I'm doing particularly good because today we're honored to have a special guest, one of our favorite guests, back with us again. Woo-woo-woo! Described, if, to borrow this movie's term, as a big box of cutesicles. <laughs> Please welcome Adam Hobbs. Thank you. Woo-hoo! Thank you. Thank you welcome so back, much. Adam. Thank you for having me again. Thanks for being here. How's it going? It is going good. I'm very excited to talk about this um, this film. Yes, today we're talking about The House Bunny. What is your history with this movie, Adam, and also with the other uh, movies written by Nicole and Smith? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would say like a pretty familiar history with with this one. I, I watched this in high school, I think with like some friends. I went to the movie theaters and saw it. And at the time I was like, I was a big fan of it. I had been a fan of Anna Faris from the movie um, Just Friends. I don't know if y'all have seen it. But so I was a big Anna Faris fan and I, I enjoyed her in this movie when I when I first saw it. Um, I'm a big Legally Blonde fan, always have been, always will be. So that one's, you know. Mm-hmm. Is Just Friends the one with Chris Evans? It's Ryan Reynolds. Okay. The, the Chris Evans one is the other Anna Faris movie I've seen. Gotcha. I don't know which one that is. It's 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 a fun movie, and Anna Faris is especially like delightful in it. I'm I'm just finding this out now. Uh, Anna Faris is a fellow podcaster. It says so right there on Google. Oh wow! Yeah. So special yeah. shout out to her if she ever wants to be on. We would love love to do a crossover <laughs> episode with her. She actually asked to be on this episode, but we'd already booked Adam, so oh, I to tell can, her no. You can invite her on, I suppose. <laughs> we should have had a four-person four <laughs> episode. Um, so you saw it when it came out. Have you revisited it across the years, or was it just for this episode? Oh, yeah. I've, re- I've revisited it a few times. I don't, I can't, I think, like, I revisit, revisited it a lot at first. Like, when I first, after I first saw it, I would, like, I was like, oh, I'm going to watch it again. And I don't, did not watch it 
for a while. Me and my boyfriend this year have like watched it once because he had never seen it, and then I I rewatched it for like the podcast. So I've seen it twice this year. Okay. Yeah. Emmett, what about you? This was the first time ever, and I was aware of this movie. This movie was in like my cultural periphery, mm-hmm. but. I had never seen it. And let me just say the ideas that I had about what this movie were and what this movie turned out being are very, very different. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Well, did you, what what do you mean? Did you think it was going to be raunchier than it is? Yeah, I just basically assumed that it would be the female-led equivalent to like Superbad or, or like Pineapple Express. Or some, mm. you know, like one of those super raunchy, super funny. The jokes are like flying over and over and over again, but not a lot of emphasis on coherent plot. Not a lot of, <laughs> you know, and just like mm. some gross out humor stuff that I assumed would not age well. Different than what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also saw this movie. Yes. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> what's your history with the house bunny? <laughs> I also saw this movie in theaters. When it came out, I was 14 when this movie came out, and I definitely saw it thinking it was going to be more of what Emmett said. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm very ashamed. I remember distinctly seeing Anna Faris do like an interview on a talk show where she talked about uh, like the naked scene in the movie and how there was supposed to be like a butt double who didn't show up on the day. So then... She did it herself and just like decided in the spur of the moment to do it. So I was like 14 and I was like, yeah, I'm going to see that movie. <laughs> and I saw it and I, I liked it at the time and it totally washed over me. I had truly like not really thought about it since other than kind of like remembering that Emma Stone was in that. Yeah. And then obviously went on to be like a much bigger thing. But yeah, that was it. I, I watched it at the time and pretty much had no sort of interaction with it until doing it again for the podcast. Let's dive into the stats a little bit here. This movie is directed by Fred Wolf, perhaps not very prolific as a director, but indeed a prolific writer. He was the head writer of Saturday Night Live in the 90s. Um, And he wrote some of like the more famous SNL adjacent movies, including Tommy Boy, Little Nicky, and Joe Dirt. (laughs) But on the directorial side... Other than this movie, he did no writing on this movie. He directed Joe Dirt 2, which went straight to Crackle, uh, and some Alec Baldwin movie on Netflix last year that was called Drunk Parents. So Nice, nice. This is the fifth film that was written by Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. It is their first one to not be an adaptation. Oh, wow. Their first one to be a completely original idea. And very original, nothing at all similar to the many other movies they've already done. (laughs) The score is by Waddy Watchell, who also did the music for Paul Blart Mall Comp. Running one hour, 37 minutes, released August 22nd, 2008. Released by Sony Pictures, produced by Happy Madison, which I want to talk about a little bit because they are like Adam Sandler's production company Mm -hmm. he gets a producing credit on this movie and they have had like some hits like the adam early adam sandler movies and like paul blart like we mentioned Mm -hmm. but they're kind of famous for making these like sort of dumb big comedies 
like a lot of slapstick, a lot of gross out humor. Mm-hmm. And then also kind of famous for doing like the let's like get a bad script in an exotic location, cast all our friends in it, and we'll be hanging out like <laughs> in the Bermudas for four months to make this movie that's like basically just a vacation for all of these comedy stars. So it's like kind of like an infamous hack job studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is one of the rare examples of them sort of producing a movie that they didn't come up with, okay. which I think is it's interesting to see the push and play between those things. Mm-hmm. But it had a budget of $25 million, box office of $71 million. It was a financial success. Mixed reviews at the time. It wasn't people didn't drag it through the mud. People didn't hate it. It was just like a warm reception, decent box office, wasn't a huge hit, but in the middle at the time. Emmett, before we say how we feel about it now, how would you explain what happens in this movie to anyone listening? Okay. Have you seen Legally Blonde? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good starting point. It's a really great place to start. Uh, (laughs) So this is a classic fish-out-of-water story uh, where we follow young Shelley, who has just turned the dreadful age of 29. <laughs> She's 27, isn't she? Or is she 20? Is she 20? I thought it was 29. Maybe You're it's You're probably 27. right. I may have been projecting my own age onto I, this I don't character. know. Because I, first I wanted to say 26, and I was like, no, it's not 26. That's how old I am. But that's that was me projecting. So maybe, who knows? Who knows? She is in her late 20s. She is working as a Playboy bunny at the Playboy Mansion. Do we have to explain what the Playboy Mansion is to anyone who is on the younger side listening? You know, honestly, like, what I I would love to know is, like, how accurately this portrays the Playboy Mansion. And if that is, like, is that a real thing? Like, I know that's a thing that I've heard about, but is it a real thing? Is it really real? Is that a thing? And was it still a thing in 2008 when this movie was made? It was, okay, I don't know how accurate it is. I tried to do a little bit of research into this, and then I just brushed up against it and stopped. <laughs> but Dad? it was it was a real thing. Playboy started in the 50s, like the early 50s. Okay. I think the mansion became a big thing in the 70s, although it had existed before that. But it was a thing where people really lived at the mansion with Hugh Hefner, the founder of Playboy, until he died in 2017. Wow. Damn. I don't know how accurate this is about that, but I do know like people were living with him and doing crazy things <laughs> at that mansion for decades and decades and decades. <laughs> okay. So she's there. <laughs> and then unexpectedly on her birthday, she is told that she is now too old and must pack up and leave immediately, must leave the Playboy Mansion. Uh, and this means that she's basically going to be homeless because she doesn't have any other family or anywhere else to go. I'm just going to fast forward a little bit. <laughs> she eventually finds <laughs> she finds herself on a college campus. And, and she says, oh, this looks really fun. She sees a sorority house, thinks it looks a lot like the Playboy Mansion. So she goes inside to see if anybody would like to be her friend. And in fact, none of the people there would like to be her friend. And they tell her to leave rudely. She finds out about a thing called House Mothers. Also all news to me as well, where there are adult women who live in sorority houses who watch after the sorority girls and like help them organize things and 
take care of them when they get too drunk, maybe? I'm not really sure. But that seems to be, like, the only the only job they have in the movie anyway. And this is where this movie started to remind me a lot of Ella Enchanted, because things just happen in this movie. There's not what you would call a line of causation happening in this film. <laughs> things just happen. And you're like, okay. Emma Stone is the president of a failing sorority, the Zetas. They are the least cool kids you know, unless you know us. She hey, comes up and becomes... Speak for yourself. <laughs> uh, she goes up and through a plot device becomes the their house mother because she does hot yoga on the lawn and they and the girls of zeta realize that this woman could teach them a thing or two about being cool and getting boys they're about to lose their sorority because no one wants to be in their sorority they've like kind of galaxy brained this that the reason no one wants to be in their sorority is that the only reason people do want to be in sororities is to go to fun parties and meet cute boys and because they never have any fun parties and are totally uncool, there are never any cute boys around. So the idea is that they are going to get Anna Ferris to be their house mother, to make them cool, to make them throw great parties and teach them how to talk to boys. And then everyone will want to pledge their their sorority and then their house won't go under and they will get to tell those snooty girls across the street what's what. Mm-hmm. Complications include a, a very young Colin Hanks, who works at an old folks' home, mm. and more snooty, like secretive skullduggery from the girls across the street. A little bit of good old fashioned self sabotage from the uncool girls of Zeta. <laughs> I love, like, I I think it's a really interesting look at like what 2008 thought was uncool because all of those people where they start in this movie is like what we now think of as being cool in 2021. So it's like, it's like, what are, what are, where, where were we as a culture? <laughs> they certainly become more 2008 as the movie goes on. Yeah. They get to be more and more 2008 versions of themselves. When, when this movie starts, you're like, okay, like they're not cool. So this is going to be a movie about her making them cool. Yeah. And then, like, the make them cool montage happens 30 minutes in to this hour, 40-minute movie. Mm -hmm. So there's kind of just, like, all these, like, different acts of things going on throughout it. Yes, which you might notice I'm having trouble figuring out what happens in this (laughs) movie. Or, like, recalling it in a way that makes any sort of narrative sense. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's, There's multiple, there's basically multiple strings going on. Emma Stone, the president of the sorority, really has it for this guy. Um, he's pretty cool. He's got the shaggy hairdo, the Tyson Ritter look, and he's there. Um, and then then she's got it bad for him. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Are you making a joke? You do know that he is Tyson Ritter, right? It is, is it actually Tyson Ritter? It is actually Tyson Ritter. Oh, that's excellent, because I was like, huh, that guy kind of looks like Tyson Ritter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is. He's the lead singer of the All-American Rejects. And every time you see him in this movie, which I think is only three times, they're playing an All-American Rejects song in the background. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Which I wonder if it was in his contract or not. Like, was it a little tribute to him or was it like, no, you gotta. You, you, you gotta have to do this. this. 
Wow. Well, we already know that McCullough and Smith are AAR fans from the previous needle drops in She's the Man. So, you know, it's canon at this point. So there's that thing going on. She can't talk to him because she's such a hyper nerd. And she's doing, I don't know if y'all remember this. Our younger listeners might not remember when Emma Stone wasn't like regular it girl hot. Like she used to be like nerdy girl hot when that was a thing in 2008. So like when that was its own thing, that was like, she was capitalizing on that along with Zooey Deschanel that I think she was like a little older. So it's like this whole, she was like, she wore glasses, you know, it was really cool. Eventually she gets called back to the mansion, Anna Ferris, not Emma Stone. And it turns out that it was skullduggery by that one sabotage sabotage by that one girl who was jealous of her who had the vicious nip pinch on the bartender and that's the (laughs) only reason that the whole plot like happened (laughs) (laughs) this bartender we can talk about some more he's like this very tall kind of schlubby man he wears pants and a vest and that's his outfit and his character is seemingly that like he doesn't care about anything playboy he just wants to mix drinks <laughs> and he's like finding crazy ways to do that and then she like lures him in with some nipple pinch that like is his ultimate turn on and he can't resist very strange <laughs> So then she goes back to the mansion because the girls of the of the Zeta house are like they get cool and then they get mean because they've been because they're cool. So because they've gotten cool and pretty, they get mean and they start say, like when they're looking through the other pledges, they're like judging them based on their appearances and like all this stuff and like saying like catty things about them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then they like look at themselves basically or like one of them like the quiet one calls them out and is like i can't believe this what you've become and then they're like you're right this is terrible what we've become let's blame it all on shelly it's totally her fault (laughs) shelly goes away in tears you know classic meanwhile the girls are like wait we can maybe be pretty and ourselves and cool and nice and do the sorority and it can like all just happen and but we'll still take a little bit of her style advice because you know she she does rock it they and then they're like recruiting all these pledges everything seems like it's going great when yet another twist of betrayal and treachery happens sabotage (laughs) i mean really what is it deception disgrace Disgrace. (laughs) The girls across the street, they trick the girl who's going to deliver the like all the pledge notices and they steal the pledge notices from her and deliver some other ones. So at the very end, when the court hearing is happening and why it's a court hearing is just kind of beyond me. But I guess they liked the format from, once again, Legally Blonde, a great <laughs> movie, which you should watch. Uh, <laughs> and they're they're there. And they're like, where's your pledges? You have to pledge people now in front of this court hearing. And everybody was like, we had the pledges, but then nobody got invited. Then Anna Ferris makes a triumphant return. She busts back in the door. She's like, hold the phone. I don't even know exactly what it is she says. This is it. This is the basic setup of the end. What? Um, You've got... 
a blonde woman in pink who people are underestimating. Oh, right. Who has come to a court case <laughs> to save her sorority sister who is on the line. And she ends up defying everyone's expectations and having them believe in her. <laughs> and she saves the day in the end. And then everyone learns that you can be yourself and be successful. <laughs> Yes, thank that you. is the climax of this movie and no other movie we have covered on yeah. this podcast. Yes, and not any <laughs> other movie. That's it. That's all I've got. Okay, um, Adam, yeah. the house bunny, flop or bop? Ooh. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've spent, okay, it's because I had to like go kind of take out some of my old ideas of this movie when I rewatched it and Look at it with fresh lens. I'm sadly going to, I think, choose flop on this one. Mm. Despite, I think there are some bop elements. I think ultimately, I, I think I found it to be a flop when I revisited it. Emmett, flop or bop? Well, I'm glad Adam said that because now I can full, full-throatedly <laughs> say that I think this movie was a flop. Wade, where do you fall on this? It's a flop for me, sadly, yeah. as well. Yeah. This is my take on this movie, and then I'll hear both of yours. (laughs) I think that there is, like, a war between the director and Happy Madison, who are trying to make it into, like, a raunchy, sex sells, big slapstick comedy. Then you've got, like, Nicola and Smith and the soundtrack, which I would say are trying to make, like, a comedy that is actually funny and do their, like, witty thing, and also sort of deliver some of, like, the teen movie stuff that they're really good at. And then I think you've got Anna Faris and Emma Stone, who are just, like, refusing to let this thing flop, and are, like, trying so hard to make these characters real characters that you, like, believe in and root for. If you're, like, really watching the movie, it makes it kind of impossible to buy them as just like objects of affection or as like the butt of the joke, which is kind of what the two other forces are going for. That's at least how I see things shaking out. And I feel like the movie is always like pushing and pulling between those different forces. I don't know. Adam, what did you, what did you used to see in this movie that you feel like has? I really don't know. I mean, young Adam just was foolish and like, that's part of it, but I think I, I a lot of it is even maybe somewhat of the legally blonde of it all and my like hopes for another legally blonde like my mm. hopes for it mm. to be that and my love for Anna Ferris and Emma Stone like I think that I was focusing on the things that I liked and focusing on what I wanted it to be and not seeing its flaws and also like I think just some maturing has made me see it differently. I think your assessment of it is pretty fair. I would say I agree with like what you what you were saying went wrong with it. I think that they didn't know there wasn't like a clear, this is the direction we're going to go. And so it really messes up like any chance of any of those directions going well, because it just feels not clear. And especially Mm. I think the sentimentality, like the sentimental parts are like ruined because of the like, like they, they feel like we don't get any payoff from any of those, like the characters that we actually start to like, especially I think Anna Faris, like I think she has some really sweet moments like as Shelly and like these moments where you see like a real person that's like, you start to care for her but like then she's the butt of the joke so much of the movie that it's like dude does the movie even get that she's like likable i don't know yeah 
and I think I was with friends where we like laughed a lot when we watched it. So I think that I was like riding that high of like, oh, this was a fun experience with friends. So it was a great movie, you know. Mm-hmm. I agree with with especially with what Adam just said about like seeing Anna Ferris be a real person and then it like winds back up to her being the butt of the joke again, which I feel like is something that is done way more effectively in Legally Blonde because they make her the butt of the joke right up until they don't anymore. And they don't try to have it both ways until they until they say, no, you've been wrong the whole time. This is who she really is. Mm -hmm which I think is very powerful in that movie. Like you see her strength like develop and it is a character, like there's an arc that is clear to follow. And with hers, it is like sometimes she's real, sometimes she's a caricature. And sometimes that isn't even scene by scene. It's like shot by shot. And Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I don't know. I have been told, I have to say that I have been told by a certain irresponsible red haired journalist that this is the greatest movie of all time. Uh, and that it was her number one pick as a movie to watch when she was eight so we can we can make of that what we may Uh, when you were eight well we also don't have to get into that Um, but yeah yeah so there's there's like much love for it among some people um we shouldn't I would hate for it to go unsaid that there is some, there is like, you know, affection for this film. It reminded me of Ella Enchanted, like I said earlier, in that way that it just like kind of snaps from thing to thing to thing and it doesn't keep a consistent tone. And whereas that kind of mm. works for Ella Enchanted because it's so over the top, this movie feels like because it's about like college age people and seems to be like four teens and college age people that it should be a little bit more grounded in reality than that children's movie. I agree with that. I was even thinking, like, the opening sequence where it's, like, Anna Ferris's like, dialogue over all the pictures of her, like, as a kid was uh, so, yeah. rid- like, was so, like, fairy tale over-the-top ridiculous. I Like, it, it makes you think that that's going to be, like, the whole movie. But then some parts of the movie are very just, like, real people mm-hmm. talking. I don't know. Like, it, it does that. It doesn't know if it wants to be ridiculous over the top or if it wants to be real and, like, more, like, legally blonde and, like, mm-hmm. real. even though, like, it's a semi- crazy premise it's still like real people talking yeah real um interactions i guess because some of anna ferris's interactions are not the way any like real person would like talk you know but then some of hers are so it's i don't know it's just yeah it goes back to that it doesn't know what it what it wants to be yeah that opening is almost kind of like a harley Mm quinn-esque introduction to a movie where she's just like crazy and irreverent and making up her backstory but then we're like watching her on dates and like have realizations about the meaning of her life. And that's like a little bit incongruous with the rest of it. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. I think that she's really good in this role. And I think like for all this movie's flaws, which I'm sure we will continue to talk about. <laughs> if I think straight up, if anyone else was playing this part, this movie would be unwatchable. Yeah. So many scenes, she was, like, the saving grace of it, just by how, like, delightful she was, you know? And I think that that she carried a lot of it. And I would say Emma Stone has some, like, very mm-hmm. delightful moments, too. I Like, for me, those were, like, my two highlights. And I think it's because they, like you were saying, they both kind of, like, I think, like, did care about trying to find, like, a good performance, and they're trying to find, like, a real person that they're in. Those moments make you connect with them the most, I think. This is uh, Emma Stone's second ever movie. 
She was in Super Bad in 2006, and then this is like I thought this was like my first memory of her because I remember when I watched Easy A, I was like very excited because I had liked her mm. in this, and I was like, oh, I, I'm excited to see her have like her movie. Yeah, she did. I think she did Zombieland the year after this, but this yeah. because she's like a small part in Super Bad, and this is kind of her like I guess ma- major role in a movie. Mm-hmm. Is this the first time we've ever talked about Emma Stone on the podcast? On it, is it? She's not in any of the X Men movies, right? No, <laughs> she's in Spider Man, which we haven't covered. Yeah. We're not X Men. Yeah. Oh, I used to have such a thing for Emma Stone. Uh huh. That's it. I don't know if I do. Or, I don't. I honestly don't know if I do anymore or not. I couldn't tell you. I haven't she, seen a movie that she's she been in recently. Lately? Yeah. We're... Well, she did. She did Cruella. Oh, yeah. oh, that's, that's right. what I, I have not seen that yet, and I need to. Yeah. She did do Cruella, but it feels like that's all she's done since The Favorite, which was yeah four years ago now. I loved. I love The Favorite too. I forgot that. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah, I don't know. I want to, yeah, I want to see her do some more things. Kind of like Channing Tatum that we talked about last week. Like, someone who is in everything and then it feels like has not been in anything. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm pitching this right now. So, Disney, just start, start <laughs> signing. The, get your check signing hand ready. <laughs> oh, my God. Because I have got it right here, right now. Channing Tatum, Emma Stone, the Gambit movie, Gambit and Rogue on a road trip to New Orleans to save Wolverine. <laughs> it's done. It's done. You can just start. You can just start sending royalty checks my way now, please. <laughs> I don't know. I guess you did Cruella. I was going to say, I don't know if you would get Emma Stone back in a superhero movie now, but she did do Cruella. So this is the moment. <laughs> Okay. Wait, do you have anything? The to house s- bunny. Other <laughs> things to say about the house bunny. <laughs> I love that, like, Catherine McPhee's thing that like, make, made her an outcast was just being pregnant. She's, like, a beautiful woman that can yeah. sing, and they're like, I guess we'll just make her pregnant? That's weird. Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah. Some of the, like, choices, like, the things that made these other girls, like, outcasts just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like... Mm-hmm. and like yeah. the girl that's like in a brace and they're like you need to like break free of that that like medical break like, i don't know like they're all like the whole message is like she needs to be not in that or she's not gonna like fully be happy and hot you know yeah i just uh, some of these <laughs> choices they made were not it for me yeah for sure and the whole weird lily thing yeah oh my god like her being british out of nowhere had no payoff because like she didn't have like that great of a British dialect. I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> so the, the shock is like that she's yeah. British, but like, don't give that to a British person then. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was just weird. For real. She's uh, one of but the shout out to girls. a cheetah girl. Yeah. Shout out to her yes. being a cheetah girl. I'm never mad at a cheetah girl being in a movie. <laughs> never. How about um, Colin Hanks? The oldest child of Tom Hanks. Chet's older brother. How do we feel about him in this movie? Who is he and what is he doing? Like how? <laughs> yeah, he's, I mean, how old would you guess he is? Because he's the manager of a nursing home. He's the manager of a nursing home. He's obviously Anna Ferris's age or a little older, plot wise. I'm not saying that's how old he looks, but like that's what the plot is asking us to yeah. Mm-hmm. To think, but he looks very young. 
So she's a uh, year older than him. But they were both 30 when they filmed this movie. Oh, wow. But I don't know how many 30-year-old managers of nursing homes I really know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair. He's just, like, the most... And, like, does not even register. Like, the most inoffensive, <laughs> vanilla sort of performance in this movie. Like, I don't I don't think he does a bad job. Yeah. His character's just, like... I don't get his perspective at... I, like, I don't know what he's even, like, ever thinking or feeling... Anna Ferris on both of these dates is clearly like putting on an act, but he like he doesn't even get that. He's just like, huh, what? What's happening? And then he's offended. And I'm like, what? Like, clearly, this is it's not like, like it's obvious the only reason she's putting on such a wild ass act in either of those two cases is because she really, really likes him. Yeah. And yeah. if he if he liked her even a little bit, <laughs> it would like that should be like pretty clear to him that like all the weirdness just get around that and yeah. be like, okay, no. Yeah. I don't know. He's like almost like taking all those insane things like at face value. Like, yes, this is like a real conversation that normal people have. And then when she's like, I have another date, which is clearly like a thing. He's like mad and storms off. Like clear, you're missing. You are missing a lot. <laughs> and then he gets a letter in the mail from her. that says <laughs> she moved to Peru. <laughs> and he's like, ah, oh, yeah. she moved to Peru. <laughs> gosh i just yeah it's not the i don't know i don't think much about his performance necessarily like you're saying like he's doing i guess what he was given with that part but like yeah the part is just weird to me their romance like the build of it is just like i I just don't care yeah none of the romances like for me like because i don't know like the emma stone one too was very strange all of a sudden he's like no i liked you as you are the whole time you know like he was like barely giving her any interest at the beginning but then he's like i liked you smart and like i like you the way you are and it was just like but where was that because you were freaking out over her when she was like not being herself so it was just like and she does like she does the dumb yourself down thing which Shelly tells her to do and it seems like he is more into her then Yes, exactly. Exactly. Like relating to her more than what yeah. Shelly says is what's going to happen. Yeah. That seems like a strange choice too. Like I feel like they should have inserted moments of like him liking her smartness earlier on. Mm-hmm. And like seeing that like maybe he wasn't vibing as much with like the I don't know, like with like the makeover and he was like, Oh, but I just want to talk to you. I don't know. Like I think that that would have had a better payoff with what they were trying to do than what they did. <laughs> I'm trying to get this this idea straight because there's like something from legally blonde that i really like is that she's got the boyfriend that is like right for her that she wants at the beginning and she who like doesn't really value her for who she is and then Mm -hmm. she gets at the end she gets the boyfriend who is like supportive and helpful of her and does value her for who she is I think this movie has a one boyfriend problem for both of the girls. Yeah. In that there's like just these two guys who are neither of them are particularly interesting. One good or bad. They're just like, ah, oh, they're there. And like perhaps if there was more of a play of like here's the he's the guy that I really like, but then it turns out there's another guy or like if you, like you said like it turns out like the super hot guy is also into smart girls as well as yeah, I don't know. I think in that way, it's almost a movie without any male characters. 
which is interesting and I think probably would have been better since like Tyson Ritter and Colin Hanks both feel like like basically just plot devices. Yeah. Like yeah. Colin Hanks gets a little more, but Tyson Ritter has like three minute long scenes <laughs> which are like too hot, too cold, just right. That's basically <laughs> all he's doing in the movie, you know? And all of like the characters are women. Yeah. Even the bad guys. Yeah. The boys of it all again for also like so much of the movie was like we need to try to win these men and like that's why that's why they were doing like everything that they were doing was for these men and then it just kind of ends that way like and they get the guys and it was just kind of like this girl-led group about girl like friendship but it was really so much of it was about like what's not about the girl friendship was about like how they can find a way to like win these guys and then they did so it felt like the movie was wanting that the whole time like that was the ending they wanted and it kind of ends with like the girl friendship, but even that to me didn't like the story of that didn't feel clear or like it was really where they were focused all the time, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like there would need to be a moment where the sorority rescues her if it were to fully come full circle like that. You know, she has to make yeah. the sorority cool and then they both mess up each other's lives. Like they make her too smart, she makes them too cool. And then at the end, there's something where the sorority comes back around and like, I guess it's there in like Emma Stone being there on the set to just pick her up. But no, but what it is, is that both the sorority and her on their own solve their separate plot issues. Right. And then they meet in the middle and they both say, I'm sorry for how I treated you. Yeah. Like that's what it isn't that they help each other through it. It's that separately they overcome it. There's just like uh, something just feels not right to me. And I, this not to keep talking about Legally Blonde, but like this idea, it feels like it wants you to be like, oh, like women can be this like multifaceted thing. They can be smart and beautiful and like dress girly and intelligent mm-hmm. uh, or they can be anything, you know, like they can be all these things. But it doesn't really do that. It puts them in very clear categories and kind of leaves them there. And like they both kind of fail at like being the other thing. And then they're like. I have to be smart. I have to be pretty. I don't know. It's just, it doesn't feel like it gives you like a clear um, motivational like aspect to it, That it's pretending like it wants you to find, but I don't think that it in the end really developed that well, like at least not in, as well as Legally Blind, where it's like, we see um, the empowerment and we see the like growth. Like I yeah. saw some, I saw them all at the end be happy, but that doesn't mean that they like learned anything or grew or any, like in the ways that the movie wants you to think they did. Also, it was all about upholding sororities yeah, <laughs> and, like, the whole Greek life <laughs> tradition. I mean... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like, the great triumph is that a sorority house doesn't close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like Michaela and Smith still have, like, a little bit of that, like, questioning gender thing in them from She's the Man. Because it feels like there's a lot of stuff in this movie about, like... framed in this movie as like the female perception of what men want. Mm -hmm. Um, I think actually, I think the original title of this movie was I know what guys want or I Mm -hmm. know what boys want or something like that. But the difference between this and she's the man is that in this movie, she's right. (laughs) Like in this movie, all guys except Colin Hanks are horn dogs and they do just want like a dumb girl who's going to flirt with them. And that message is like reinforced. Yes, 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 yes. And Colin Hanks wants that also, I don't know. <laughs> Colin Hanks is kind of asexual. 
he's yeah. like not he's like wants to be nice and not romantic yeah 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 <laughs> yeah yeah either get rid of the like boys or like develop that more yeah like, have boys that like are a little bit more developed otherwise it just feels like what because that's my thing is for me, I think I wanted it to be more just about their friendship and less mm-hmm. about the boys. I wanted them to in the end kind of be like, well, we need to like feel good about ourselves. We need to do what like makes us happy. But it kind of feels like in the end it was like, oh, they got the boys. So, yay, like it all worked out for them because they got the boys. Well, and because they have this really unfortunate thing called the genre subheading of being a rom-com. So there's like the obligation that somebody's yeah. going to kiss at the end and it's going to be like really sweet but i i think you're like what we're kind of running up against is that like the plot of this movie is a friends accepting each other's story that then has like a rom-com ending sort of tagged onto it for no good discernible reason yeah but the kiss at the end is emma stone and tyson ritter because this movie knows that it would be weird to watch Anna Ferris and Colin Hanks kiss. <laughs> so it doesn't make you do that, but it makes you think about it. <laughs> I also feel like there's an element that they were maybe brushing up against of like, her journey on this movie is like rejecting Hugh Hefner and leaving the Playboy Mansion. But this is like an official, you know, like playboy production basically that like filmed on the mansion and has him in several like dramatic scenes you know is that really him that's him Mm -hmm. okay so i feel like they can't be too overt or too harsh about that i feel like that's why they i feel like that's why they added this other villain from the playboy mansion because they didn't want to make hugh hefner out to be like the bad guy that got rid of her Mm. so they added someone else to cause that drama to get her out of the house like i feel that i was thinking about that today i was like why is this woman here because she like she's like having her as a villain and having the other sorority as villains was like two we needed just one person causing the because this other woman was like only in it for a couple scenes but she was causing like all this drama but she was also at the same time kind of irrelevant to most of the story think about how much like juicier it would be if the sorority president of the other sorority finds out about the playboy thing and is using that to kind of drive anna ferris's character away is like saying she can't possibly be a like a house mother she was like part of and trying to like shame her away from it which is like something i feel like they're also dancing around but never quite get to you know it it feels and then you would have that sort of like one villain sort of thing yeah i don't know but it also starts, like, her first act is them, like, making a sexy calendar, which everyone is fine with and, like, flies off the shelves. So, but I also feel like there's, I don't know how to totally articulate this. And I, I have felt in all of these movies, there is, like, sometimes an element of, like, being anti-female sexuality in some way. Like, mm-hmm. especially in this movie when she, like, gets thrown into the jail with the prostitutes yeah. and they all look like how they look in this movie and, like, treat her how she is treated. Like, that's a bold thing for a movie to do that also has, is, like, totally upfront about Hugh Hefner having, like, his five famous playmates who are real people playing themselves who, like, always had to stick around him and... yeah like sleep with him and stuff you know like that's just like a weird mix yeah i agree with that i do think like legally blonde that this would make a good musical 
And I'm surprised it isn't one already. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like it has that structure there. I could see that. And it feels like they have done, like, a very bend and snap adjacent scene with the old folks retirement home (laughs) teaching them how to dance scene in this one yeah there was a lot of i think like a lot of parallels to lily blood i also really i struggled with um kat denning's character Mm, a lot (laughs) yes Uh mostly because again i think just like the payoff of it like Mm because she's kind of like this old idea of feminism that's like or this like idea of feminism that's like you can't be like a pretty like She's like a bra burning, yeah, men hating, and like she kind of, I guess, gets out of that. But we don't really, I I guess, we don't see her like fully move past that because she kind of is bringing that into every conversation, even when they're dressing pretty. She's like, "Well, I'm doing this for research," and I'm like, "I don't know." It's just like we never got to see her kind of like growth in that area, which I feel like is something that they wanted to show, but they just like didn't. And, like, I, I think that her character was, like, so, like, antagonistic sometimes that it was just, mm-hmm. like, too much. Like, I think they could have added some... She, like, every scene, she was, like, mad about everything. And it was, like, okay, where's this... Like, we didn't see where it was coming from. We didn't see what it was, like, a development there of, like, why she was, like, so antagonistic. At least for me. I just, like, I did not, like, enjoy her character. I, I've read her, and this is, like, obviously putting on and maybe doing the thing that this movie is telling people not to do. But like, I read her as coded, like coded as queer in this film. I could see that. Yeah. Also very strange that there's never any address of that. No, like, like she's only supposed to be going and talking to boys and like, there's not any thought of maybe, I don't know. That's just an area that that seems like if you were doing a movie about empowerment, becoming yourself and like owning who you are, that maybe if you're going to code a character that way, maybe like give them. Yeah. Like, I think that the, the writing marker. did not do a lot of service to yeah. her character. It just came off like, in a, a like not like a way that doesn't really rub me the wrong way, especially because she was so often so mean to like Emma Stone and Anna Ferris's character that are so sweet and like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. so likable that you're just like, when is like, yeah. when is she going to stop? Just like being mad at them for talking. I don't know. It's just like too much. And it was just like very like, it was so aggressive that I thought there was going to be a payoff of like, oh, she realizes like that Anna Ferris's character has like all these things to like give and like is so sweet. Like, I don't know, but like, and she kind of did, but she, it was, we didn't see that like directly. The one of the girls that I really struggled with was Carrie May. Oh my God. Who is the one who's played as like, I don't even know, like a country bumpkin. Yeah. <laughs> or like a simpleton. I mean, yeah. I don't know like what was... the joke is, but it did not work for me. No. No. <laughs> yeah. I do, lo- I do love her one line about the only magic I've ever pulled is spending nine years in college so I don't have to go back to Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> she was definitely like only the butt of jokes. Like there was yeah. no yeah. like real person there. And that's, most, I mean, honestly, I think most of the, like, girls other than Emma Stone were just, like, set in, like, a, you are this thing. Like, you're mm-hmm. this person. Or you're just pregnant. Uh, like, you're either, like, this character, or you're pregnant, or you're, like, stuck in a brace. And, uh, like, other than that, you don't exist. Like, you don't have much of a story. Yeah. Okay, there's another girl that we haven't talked about who doesn't do anything in this movie. Who's also part of the sorority. She's oh, wait, the short the one. The short one? The yeah. short one. She's yeah. just there. Yeah. And the joke is just that she's short. She's short. Like, I just don't get it. 
the other path forward with this movie would have been that it becomes like bridesmaids and you get like eight of like the best female comedians to mm-hmm. all riff off each other and there are all these like big characters yeah yeah and this movie like has the wherewithal to give them each like one funny personality trait but it isn't the the writing isn't good enough to pull that off and they also maybe have not cast them with particularly comedically gifted actors in some yeah. ways or a competent director and so that like is all falling apart yeah for sure for the behind the scenes drama we actually have covered most of it but the thing i want to mention is that this movie was actually pitched by anna ferris to mccullough and smith she approached them with an idea she had for a movie which was a drama about a play a playboy a playgirl, playmate, whatever they call it, Playboy Bunny, who has been uh, kicked out of the mansion, like, has to go back home to, like, her small town in the Midwest and is, like, addicted to drugs and, like, has PTSD and falls out because of that experience. And then McCullough and Smith had this pitch for a separate movie they had been working on, which was, like, a sorority and a house mother who are at war with each other. And it's a comedy about that. And then the three of them, like, combined those two very different pitches to make this movie. Hmm. I feel like I would have liked either of those movies better. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think the idea of, like, a a bunny that's, like, left the house and has to go back home is very interesting. That's a weird thing that they put. They're like, okay, put them together. (laughs) Because I would, I don't know, like, I would have just been like, no, that doesn't need to happen. That's okay. Uh, I guess you got the title, The House Bunny, because, you know, House Bunny. Yeah. I guess that's the good thing that came out of it. But yeah, that seems, I do think that, like, those sound better separate than together. And I don't really know why, why you would go to McCullough and Smith to write your Oscar drama. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That does seem strange. For as talented and, and great as they are. Yeah. Okay, we I've we've probably covered this, but like in the fine wine section, mm-hmm. are there any jokes or elements that we feel have aged particularly well or are play much worse now than they did at the time? I think more play worse <laughs> than better. <laughs> yeah, for just for like a movie that's centering women, these women are like treated as like a joke so much and like the fact like and it's like so many things about like just inherently being a woman is like treated mm. as a joke and like like you were even say like female sexuality is like treated very weird and I think that's part of like why revisiting it for me I was like oh okay <laughs> I was like the same <laughs> I think it was fun seeing Emma Stone earlier on because of like where she's come from then like just seeing like kind of the little like the things about him so that like everyone just fell in love with at first and like and not that she's not still loved but like just seeing her kind of in her like simple before huge fame performance and like i think i think she's very like just like a naturally charming person and like you got to see that which i i liked seeing, mm-hmm. seeing that i would just say the entire sequence from when the cop shows up to when she <laughs> leaves the jail yeah Bad. all of all of that yeah a big no thank you to all of that (laughs) yeah 
this is like the larger thing about this movie that we have kind of already mentioned, but it just like is so weird that Playboy was such a thing for so long because it like really is nothing now. Yeah. Do you know like this movie? Like this movie is so about like the things of Playboy, and now those don't really exist. So. I feel like, I mean, it was still maybe around when this movie came out. But even for me, like, I think I thought of Playboy as, like, a very old thing even then. Yeah. Like, even when it was still around. So, like, it is weird that they, I don't know, they made a movie that made it seem like that's just, like, a normal part of, like, our culture. But it feels like a very, like, a, like an older generation's kind of thing. Our dad's generation always had the joke about finding their dad's Playboys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And I feel like now when people wear, like, Playboy shirts or, like, earrings or stuff, it's kind of like they're wearing it like you wear, like, a Rolling Stones or, like, an ACDC sort of thing. Yeah. It's just, like, part of an older culture. It's, like, yeah. a culturally iconic thing that's almost separated from what it represents. Yeah. Like, the, the symbol itself is, like, separated yeah. from what it represents. You're just like, oh, that's a cool thing. Yeah. There was a cooler, the Igloo Playmate, which had the bunny symbol on it that was like licensed i think probably by playboy to them it was like a little igloo cooler mm. but that's what they were i i like can remember that and like why does it say that with like the bunny on there and like somebody mm. explaining that to me when i was a, a young kid well even in legally blonde she like dresses up as as a playboy, playboy bunny, bunny. Yeah. yeah and even like i mean not necessarily but like in mean girls regina george is like the bunny like that kind of figure of like the blonde playboy bunny i think like they may they may be like capitalizing on that a little bit yeah i want to just bring back a quick uh a segment of old if and wait you can edit this out if we've already done this year before but this is the top box office from 2008 because as we were talking about this movie i was like okay so culture was dead in 2008 there was nothing in 2008 (laughs) guys let me just read you the top 10 grossing films of 2008 okay number one the dark knight the greatest movie ever made. Uh, number two, Iron Man. Number three, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Number wow. four, Hancock. Number five, Wally. Number six, Kung Fu Panda. Number seven, Madagascar Escape to Africa, the second best movie ever made. Uh, number eight, Twilight. Number nine, Quantum wow. of Solace. And number 10, Horton Hears a Who. This year was stacked yeah i guess so this is really like that one two punch of dark knight and iron man are like separately laying the groundwork for where all blockbusters go in the next until now basically right yeah like it's like the mcu and then all of like the marvel the people who are doing like the connected universe ripoffs and then it's everyone who is doing like the gritty prestige darker reboot Mm mm-hmm and now those both start like a month apart this year. I think they've paid, pretty much played themselves out by now, but they are continue. They're like they are still playing themselves out in theaters right now. But mm-hmm. I feel like those. I those. I think we might be we might be in for something new sometime soon. I hope. Dear God, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I think we need to see something new for for it. But yeah. that's the sort of thing like they wouldn't like what movie that is similar to the house bunny has been released in the last two or three years, you know? Yeah. Uh, okay. MVP. 
who is our favorite character in this movie other than the protagonist. I am just going to take Anna Ferris off. Uh, so she's not eligible, but everyone else in this movie is up for grabs. Adam, who is your MVP of the house bunny? I mean, I think I've already said it like Emma Stone as Natalie. I think this is her character's name. That would be my choice. Hmm. I think she was not necessarily given that great of stuff to work with, but still found a way to be like very entertaining and like funny and like had some really funny, sweet, cute moments. So I think that was a testament to her, her talent as an actress and as a comedic actress and stuff. And like she, she was able to kind of take this kind of not great role and be fun with it, especially opposite Anna Ferris, like who is such a like presence in this movie, like to hold her own and have funny moments. I think. I think it was impressive. Yeah, I think it's a testament to Emma Stone that she brings something kind of new to like the nerdy girl becomes popular, then becomes evil, then becomes herself trope. Yeah. Um, Because like even when she's like the hot popular version of herself, like you don't dislike her. Yeah. And the way she's weird is like a very unique and funny sort of specific thing she's doing. So... Thinking about her, like, at the Aztec party, especially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where she, like, really seems to be, like, genuinely enjoying the bad things she's doing. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. Emmett, MVP? I'm going to give it to our bartender friend. <laughs> he's he's just a, a cool guy with tender nips <laughs> and, a love of, and a love of wearing both vests. both stolen my two. With nothing oh. under them. <laughs> Uh, and he just he just wants to make excellent drinks, man. And I really can't I can't fault him. He comes in clutch at the end, driving them around. He just seems like an all around good person in this movie. <laughs> Wait, well, those were my number one and number two picks. <laughs> so there is, I think, another good performance in this movie, which uh, which is Sarah Wright as Ashley, who is the leader of the evil sorority. Uh, yeah. I think she plays that part very convincingly. Yeah. It feels like she should have also been in like 10 teen movies around this time. Uh-huh. Uh, but I don't think she was for whatever reason. Yeah, she does. She does play that part really well. In the last like half an hour of that movie, that, that person almost becomes interesting and compelling. And you're <laughs> like, oh, maybe there's something going on here. And then yeah. the movie's like, no. Yeah, I feel like they could have given her like a Vivian from Legally Blonde, like... Mm. arc mm-hmm. at least at the end but they did it and they were just kind of like okay you're just awful that's yeah. it the end i am glad that her friend is the one that switched though mm-hmm. what do y'all think about the baby like them wheeling <laughs> this woman who has just given birth in so that her baby can be the 30th member of the sorority and then they're like yeah we're obviously we're not gonna do that yeah it's such a big <laughs> moment that you think they're you think that's what they're going to do because they made it such a big to do that she just rammed into the store and then it's like nah that doesn't work like you could have just not put that in i don't know i guess they just wanted to show that kathy mcphee had her baby somehow also the joke of the zetas is like that they're so awkward and boy verse and they have no social experience and one of them is literally yeah 12 months pregnant <laughs> and they yeah. never address that <laughs> Yeah, she had one boy notice her at the very least. (laughs) There's that almost interesting line in the nude scene where 
Emma Stone is like, some of these girls don't even have never even seen their own bodies naked. So you can't show yours. Like that's almost an interesting subplot about (laughs) them, like coming to terms with their own, like unique bodies and selves. And then that isn't addressed at all. No, (laughs) they're like, I I see that door and I am not going to open it. (laughs) That seems to be true for most of this movie is like plot devices. It's like, it's like, this could be some way that we go, but we're not going to. But, like, we could do it. <laughs> we could explore this. This movie is, like, being chased down a very slowly, down a very long hallway with tons of open doors on either side. And you just keep peeking in them as you go past. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and saying, nope, not that one. <laughs> well, that's almost, like why I like that baby moment that we mentioned is because like from the minute the hands start going up, you're like, Oh, it's going to come down to one last vote. And the mean girl's friend who she's been abusing, you're like, okay, I get it. And then that happens. And you're like, Oh, it's playing with my expectations in a weird way, which almost none of this movie is except for like those opening credits that you mentioned, which are like so irreverent and funny and weird. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> okay, let's do uh, let's do final thoughts, and then we'll play a little game here at the end. Adam, any final thoughts on the house bunny? I feel like I've said I feel like I've said it all that I wanted to say. Mm, it's a good feeling. Yeah, Emmett, final thoughts. I would just like to say I know that there is a group of people out there who loves this movie. Please don't <laughs> at me. Do you think those people have seen this movie recently? Well, I know that one of them just saw it recently and still loved it. <laughs> uh, I will say it, there's a a bit of me because I loved it when I first saw it that still mm-hmm. felt that nostalgia and like, oh, this is fun to like revisit, even though I was hyper aware of the the flaws this time. <laughs> like, but I still mm-hmm. like found myself laughing at things that I had laughed at last night. Like, so I yeah. think that like I, I still found myself enjoying it, even though I didn't like think it was good. You know? <laughs> yes, I would agree with that. It it goes down easy. It is like a smooth movie to watch. It's fun. It's enjoyable. There's attractive people on screen for almost all of the film. So like it makes it very, as like very easy to consume. Yeah. I did not like hate the experience of watching it, but talking about it on a critical level, I would, I, yeah, yeah. I just don't think, I, I also think that I would have enjoyed it more honestly out of context of this series. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because I think, it's got tough acts to follow, especially in She's the Man, which I love, and yeah. Legally Blonde, which it cribs so much of, and I also love. So That's fair. Yeah, if you were watching it as, like, an overlooked, like, 2008 raunchy comedy, maybe it would be like, oh, there's some interesting things here. Yeah. But as, like, the fifth movie of this writing partnership that has produced four good movies so far, in my opinion, yeah. Yeah. it does let down. And it doesn't feel like it gives you much new, I would say. Like, yeah. there isn't much in this movie we haven't seen in those four movies before. Yeah. Wait, final thoughts? A couple written down. Okay, I think there's an accurate depiction of karaoke in this movie, which I like. <laughs> I love the karaoke moment. I think that actually sounds like how bad karaoke actually sounds. <laughs> yeah. Well, great use of the one F-bomb in the movie, where she's standing over the manhole cover. <laughs> and just screams it out (laughs) okay back to like the very first point that adam made and it being hard to like take this the emotional moments 
of this character seriously. I think the the worst of all is when Rihanna uh, Take a Bow starts playing <laughs> and she's like crying in the rain. Um, and you're like, what is happening here? Yeah. And the ending credits music video. I don't know if we need to talk about that, but I'm just pointing it out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, wait. like, each of the girls raps a verse in the ending credits. Oh, wait, do they really? I missed that. <laughs> I watched, I did not finish it. I, I it started playing, and I was like, okay. I mean, I think I saw it the first time I saw it. I, I noticed <laughs> Katha McPhee singing because I'm a fan of the show Smash and was an American mm. Idol fan. So, like, me and Katha McPhee have a history. This is kind of her only big film role. Mm-hmm. Although she is obviously, like, the main character of Smash. Do you feel like she should be doing more stuff here? I, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's, she's doing what she can do. And should do. I love her, but, like, I think she should maybe steer clear of movies. Okay, well, now it's time for our <laughs> quiz. In this movie, Shelley's goal is to become Playboy centerfold on the cover of Playboy. In real life, over <laughs> dozens and dozens and dozens of years, many famous actresses and celebrities were on the cover of Playboy. Mm. What I have here is a quiz in which I will list three different celebrities, and you will have to guess which one of the three was not a Playboy cover model. Ooh, okay. Did some deep dive research into um, the annals of Yahoo celebrity news history <laughs> for this one. Are you calling um, this two truths and a lay? I'm calling it bums the word. Oh my God. Number one, we have here Marilyn Monroe, Nancy Sinatra, and Patsy Cline. Which one did not pose for Playboy on the cover? Patsy Cline. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna also go with Patsy Cline. That is a point for both correct Woo! Marilyn Monroe and Nancy Sinatra. Both did. Number two, Vanna White, Doris Day, and Dolly Parton. I think I'm gonna go with Doris Day. Emmett, doing some mental calculations here. <laughs> I think I will also go with Doris Day. Okay, are you sure? No, I want to go with Dolly Parton. That's what I. That's in my heart is what I feel is true. Is true. Well, it is points for Adam. It is Doris Day, Dolly Parton, and These Vanna are White. Complete guesses, but. <laughs> Um, apparently, I was reading in this Yahoo gossip page. There was this big controversy where Vanna White like posed for nude photos before she became famous, and then Playboy bought them for like a ton of money after she was a game show host. Oh, um, wow. like put them out without her permission. So, ooh, yikes! Yeah, yeah. Okay, number three. Uh, taking it to the two thousands here, we've got Jessica Alba. Lindsay Lohan and Megan Fox. It's got to be Lindsay Lohan who didn't, right? I think I would also say Lindsay. It's Megan Fox. Oh, <laughs> what? Yeah, okay. Lindsay Lohan, like right at the end of her run before the drugs and the crimes. <laughs> Number four, Janet Jackson, Cindy Lauper, Madonna. Cindy Lauper? Emma? 
Yeah, I'll also go with Cindy Lauper. Incorrect. It was Janet Jackson. Wow. Okay. This was this one. The eighty singer was the hardest one because I kept thinking of other eighty singers and like they all did. <laughs> Just to be honest, I was like Stevie Nicks, and then I was like no, and then I was like Joan Jett, and they were like no, she did. <laughs> so. Wow. Uh, Janet Jackson, the rare. Okay. Number five, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Kim Kardashian, Khloe Kardashian, Kylie Jenner. Khloe uh, Kardashian. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'm going to say Khloe. A point for both. Well done. Well done. We've got uh, Adam and Lee. Three. I have something to tell y'all about that, but we're not going to. I'll wait until the end of the. <laughs> wait until we're done recording. Okay. No. <laughs> Okay, we've got three more, and Adam's in the lead by one right now. So still anyone's game. Number six, Charlize Theron, Uma Thurman, Winona Ryder. Mm. The 90s leading lady edition. I think I'm going to say Winona Ryder. Will you list them again, Wade? Charlize Theron, Uma Thurman, Winona Ryder. You can go with Charlize Theron. It's a point for Adam. Taking a two-point lead, Winona Ryder. <laughs> the only one of those three who did not. Well, into tight, but this is your chance for redemption, Emma. We've got two more. Wow. Two men have posed on the cover of Playboy. One of these men did not. The other two are in these three. Okay. Steve Martin, Robin Williams, Bruno Mars. Which one did not Pose for the cover of Playboy oh, magazine. Oh, God. <laughs> Were the two together? No, separate issues. Okay, separate. Okay. Two separate issues. Okay. That changes things. Two separate cover, male cover stars of Playboy. I'm just going to make a guess. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say um, Steve Martin. Okay. I'm going to say Robin Williams. It's a point for Emmett. Robin Williams. Wow. Okay. Okay. Um, the Steve Martin cover is very funny. <laughs> Him in like uh, like a ringleader hat and like tidy whities surrounded <laughs> by like carnival ladies. Wait. Looking very out of his depth. <laughs> it's very funny. I love that. Um, and the Bruno Mars one is just weird. Like why? Why he was the second <laughs> man ever? Yeah, that seems strange. Oh, this is hilarious. You you should <laughs> you Martin. should look at this wild and crazy Steve Martin. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh. oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> One more. We've got Adam with four points. Emmett with three. I do have a tiebreaker. So if you manage to Ugh. tie this up, Emmett. Okay. I was just happy with the tie. <laughs> Uh, this is the grab bag round. Okay. Katy Perry, Anna Ferris, Mariah Carey. I'm saying Mariah Carey. Okay. Um, I'm also I'm also going to say Mariah Carey. Point for neither. It was Katy Perry. Oh, damn. I yeah. Almost, oh. Mariah Carey did back in the day, and Anna Ferris as a tie-in to this movie. I would guess some sort of corporate deal with them was on the cover. Whenever this movie came out. Wow. Well, congratulations to Adam. Thank you. The king of playboys. Yeah, the true playboy. That's what they call me. (laughs) 
thanks so much for being here, Adam. Yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Uh, anywhere the people can find you or, or anything you want to plug or talk about while you're here? No, you can find me on um, Instagram. It's Miss Piggy's Gay Assistant. Or TikTok, it's Miss Piggy's Gay Assistant. Um, or Twitter, it's Miss Piggy's GBF. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> so, yeah, don't let the Twitter throw you off. Mm. Did so- Wait, did someone else have it on Twitter? Or No, it wouldn't let me put it that long. It wouldn't like let me make one that long on Twitter. So mm-hmm. I did GBF instead there. Yeah, makes sense. Adam, have you seen Tick, Tick, Boom? I have not yet. I have not okay. yet. I do plan to watch it. I just haven't. Okay, I want to hear what you think when you do. I mean, I have okay. you seen Tick, Tick, Boom yet? No, I've seen I've seen a little bit about it. What is it exactly? It's <laughs> it's kind of hard to describe. Okay, it's about Jonathan Larson, who is the man who wrote the musical Rent, uh-huh. uh, and kind of famously died the night before Rent premiered. Oh, wow! So this is a film adaptation. Of the second musical he wrote, Rent was his third musical, and his second musical is called Tick, Tick, Boom. This musical is about him writing his first musical, which was never produced, if that makes any sense at all. So this is a film adaptation of a stage musical that he wrote, which is about him himself trying to write his first musical, which never made it, and about like everything that was going on in his life at the time. Interesting. Uh, and it's it's directed by Lynn Manuel Miranda. It's got Andrew Garfield playing Jonathan Larson. Cool. Under very good. The last movie I saw was Spencer, so I, I, I uh, okay. catch up on my movie. What did you What did you think about Spencer? Um, I really enjoyed Kristen Stewart. I mean, the movie was very like upsetting and hard to watch, but I think she mm. was. I think she was a very good, especially for that style of movie. She was a good choice for Diana, in my opinion. Like, I think she captured diana and did it in a way that suited that film yeah i was was very very impressed yeah i liked it a lot too the weird thing about tick tick boom now i feel like not to get too uh somber but is that uh steven sondheim is a big part of it who just passed away yeah and he's being played by bradley whitford the dad from get out is playing like a younger steven sondheim who is kind of like a big supporting character in the movie. Huh. Mm. So I don't know. I've That's been really... seeing a lot of stuff about like about that. It's interesting. That also reminds me of that Jordan Peele connection reminds me that Anna Ferris plays herself in Keanu in that very weird scene. Oh! Remember that? <laughs> Whoa, she That's does. Her. Forgot about that. Where the scene where they just kill everybody in the or wait, do they not yeah. kill them? If they fake kill people, or they really kill people? They kill them all, but then it turns out they're like actors and they weren't really dead, or something like that. Oh, yeah. They're all undercover cops or something. Her two best performances covered here. <laughs> you should see her in Just Friends. She is unhinged in the best way. Yeah, okay. Like, she, right. she gives a, a very... She dates Ryan Reynolds' character, who's a music producer, and she's like this kind of insane pop star very like characterist mm. like caricature-esque pop star that's like kind of psycho but it's very funny oh, sweet. i feel yeah. like watching her in this that she should have been in everything around the yeah time. yeah yeah like she's so good in this and i feel like this is kind of like her one big movie yeah that she had to produce herself so yeah yeah i don't know i think she's so funny uh well we'll be back 
In 32 weeks, talking about the next Jordan Peele movie, nope. And next week, talking about the last McCullough and Smith movie, The Ugly Truth. And that'll be the conclusion of our movies released for this year, right? Uh, yeah. Of new of new movie episodes for yes. the year of the cursed year of our Lord 2021. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Wow. Yeah, their last their last movie and their only R-rated movie. Ooh. I have not heard good things, but I'm hopeful that uh, you know, <laughs> maybe it's better than people say. Have you seen The Ugly Truth, Adam? No, I haven't. Actually, maybe I I feel like I maybe watched it on TV once, but I don't really remember it. Our guest for next week for that movie um, told me that she started to watch the movie and then said it was really sexist and turned it off. And I was like, oh, great. So you have a feeling about it. Would you like to be on the episode? (laughs) We shall see. Well, until then, Emmett. Oh, yeah. Until then. Uh, Stay frosted. Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Emma Temple and me, Wade Lawrence Holloman. I also edit and mix the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp. And our show art is by Autumn Beckman. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week 